This is part two of our series on the billion dollar question of corporate giving. In our previous episode, we looked at two corporate giving models, buy one, give one, with a case study about Tom's shoes and tied funding. We examined the benefits, but also the risks and drawbacks of these giving models. There are amazing locally led organisations who know how to get systems moving and changing, but they just need funders to almost like get out of the way. Cool, so yeah, episode two of giving models. And just to recap, this amazing stat. Mm. Nearly half of all of the roadblocks that stop projects from achieving impact is from the funding that is trying to do the good thing. So that's just shocking. We think of giving money to charity, the world's better off. Mm. And then you introduce this idea of unrestricted funding, trust-based giving. Yeah, so we'll be looking at that idea of unrestricted funding in this episode, trying to understand more of what it means and what the implications are for businesses giving in that way. And we'll be hearing a lot about thank you and their journey uh, from giving money to specific activities to untied funding or unrestricted funding. In this episode, we're asking, is unrestricted funding the way forward? But before we get to answering that question, let's begin with a story. Over the last six to seven years, we've been, you know, really challenged on the idea that it's going to take a lot of different approaches to tackle extreme poverty. That's Peter Yao, who you may remember from our previous episode. Peter is the Chief Impact Officer at Thank You, a social enterprise that makes consumer products and distributes its profits all for the end of extreme poverty. So we started off with our business journey of saying, okay, we've got consumer products like bottled water generating hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in the economy. So can we kind of usurp that and uh, actually meet a funding need on Gap that NGOs really, really need. Unlike Tom's, Thank You didn't adopt a buy one, give one model. While one-for-one one models like that of Tom's directed their funds to provide primarily one particular product, in their case, shoes, Thank You took a broader development approach, funding water projects, hygiene and sanitation projects, maternal and child health projects, and the like. It's $2.5 trillion to meet the SDGs. That is a funding gap as of today. Wow, so not only is there complexities with how effective money can be given, mm. whether it's tied or not, or otherwise, there's a lot that's required to meet the SDGs goals. The SDGs goals, as we know, aren't even going to bring everyone into the best mm. position in life. It's all the problems of the world. Yep. So it's super important how well we give that money, right? That's right. Huge need, so we need to make sure that what we're giving is doing as much good as it can. And so everyone's trying to figure out, gosh, like, how are we going to come up with, with that funding? So for us, it became this business model. We make household products and then distribute all the profits to our charity partners. Their approach was to find a profitable market in the FMCG space, build a product business, and then channel those profits to help charities working to help end extreme poverty. From here, the question was to figure out where and how to distribute the money raised. In order to do that, Thank You created a system called Track Your Impact. A customer would buy a Thank You product, say a bottle of hand wash with a Track Your Impact ID number stamped on the back. They go to the website, tap out the number and see a map with the location of the hygiene and sanitation project that their purchase helped fund. Our consumers are almost like our micro donors. And they are people that generally do care about what's happening with their dollar. And something that we thought through as a corporate 
philanthropic organization is connecting the dots between their purchase in the supermarket shelf and the impact that our partners were having. Track Your Impact fostered a high level of transparency by thank you to its customers. We would showcase this impact or this tangible output to our consumer itself and connect the dots. And it was something that we had high hopes for. We, we required a lot of reporting from our partners to do that. And our partners actually spent you know, a lot of time on it. We, we prided ourselves, I think, on that because we felt like it was keeping our partners honest. But really, it was just trying to connect a consumer's understanding of development with a tangible output. Not only did Track Your Impact create transparency from thank you to its customers, but it also relied on a high level of transparency from thank you's nonprofit impact partners. The drive for honesty and openness is admirable and understandable given that funders want to know how their money is being spent. But it also sets a high expectation for those nonprofit partners to report on their activities and outputs. While highlighting these numbers is not necessarily a bad thing, relying on them to communicate the story of impact is problematic. As you might remember from part one, what is labelled as impact in a report are often activities or outputs, the number of wells installed, the number of people reached. However, that is only one step in the process of determining a meaningful impact. It's a really big shift for businesses and consumers. It's come up so much. How many million trees planted? It's like, that doesn't matter. For example, like we've created a monoculture of trees, but it's no mm. uh, habitat, wildlife, biodiversity. It actually destroys it. Um, but a million trees. Mm. Uh, but more complicated stuff version of that would be we've done a whole bunch of different things, including changing landscapes, introducing species, fencing stuff. So Working with community groups, it can be really broad, a range of activities. And it's really complicated, which is hard to tell customers. It's hard to tell businesses. You just trust it and put it back the right organisation that seems to know what they're doing. Evaluating the impact of a particular project involves what's called a theory of change, accounting for what would have happened anyway without the initiative, determining the extent to which changes can be attributed to that initiative, and assessing the length of time that the measured change is beneficial for. However, if anything, this can create a more laborious process of reporting for those nonprofit partners than if they were only to report on a project's activities or outputs. This means greater overhead spending by nonprofit partners with longer timelines, more resources, and a detailed framework and methodology for assessing the real impact of their projects. Yet a five-year research project by the Urban Institute's National Centre for Charitable Statistics and the Centre on Philanthropy at Indiana University, as well as further research by Bridgespan, found that nonprofit organisations continue to run with markedly low overhead budgets that stymie their ability to invest further in the administrative work of impact measurements. As Dan Pelotta has argued, the expectation from donors that a nonprofit organization's percent of spending on overheads should be as low as possible and that that is a reliable indicator of their trustworthiness limits their means of growing and accomplishing further impact. That actually may put pressure on the NGO or the partner um, because they start to tailor their programming not with the lens or the eyes of reaching someone with the most effective solution but actually reaching someone with 
a solution that's dictated by the funder or by the funder's uh, strategy of trying to reach as many people as possible. While in the business world, risk is accounted for and accepted as a necessary element of investment in innovation, the nonprofit sector is often hamstrung by a low risk threshold from donors. There's this element of mistrust in the philanthropic sector, and that's where you get things like really restrictive funders saying, hey, you can only use our funding if you do it in this way. And it, this, this way, usually while they think it screams of accountability, what it actually means is it makes sense to me, the funder, which is really dangerous. Donors' expectations of costs needed by nonprofit organisations to roll out projects creates a vicious cycle of underfunding or short funding cycles that don't allow time for potentially impactful projects to prove their value. In the beginning, maybe we start with very little numbers, but if you keep funding this initiative, at the end, 10 years later, you have a great success. So, and donors, no, donors, they want like the first year, yeah, okay, 100,000 people impacted. But how deep has been this impact? That's Nadia Campos. She's the director of the Innovation Lab at global nonprofit IDE Global. Reporting requirements on outputs and shorter timeframes mean that many nonprofit partners are constrained to rolling out traditional initiatives and particular activities in order to secure ongoing funding. If the timescale on which to measure the effectiveness of a project is limited, this also limits the innovations charity partners are able to create. Here's Andrew Davies, the CEO of B-Lab in Australia and New Zealand. I think we'll need to look for alternate models of corporate giving. So providing short-term cash to a charity in the form of a donation is one model, but providing long-term financing is a really important space. And I think large organisations need to think about their capacity to support beyond just those cash donations, because I think it does create the tension in so many charities that they're reliant on that short-term funding. And, and how can you as an organisation invest for the long-term when the funding you're getting is subject to annual expectations? You might have heard of the lab or the corpse before. They are an organisation who works with companies to see how impactful they are, yeah. positive and negative. They come at it from a really rigorous perspective to make sure things are really built into systems that businesses have Tide funding further limits nonprofits to account for their spending before they've been able to commence a project. Unforeseen challenges or even unexpected opportunities discovered along the way are not easily retrofitted into the project scope. We need to first go into the communities, talk to them, see if the solutions fits or not, which one is going to fit better before we are able to scale up. Not all the donors can or are willing to do that, some donors fund the pilots, some donors no. They want just you to go and to start as soon as possible, start in the ground, start doing things. Yeah, but I don't know yet what is the solution that is going to work best. I need to do some research and to pilot things. A study by the Centre for Effective Philanthropy found that nonprofit organisations have long called for multi-year unrestricted funding. Nonprofit leaders describe how this type of funding enables them to plan for the future, invest in their team and focus on impactful work. But as it stands, only two in five nonprofits receive unrestricted funding, and those that do receive only a little, with most reporting that unrestricted funding makes up less than a quarter of their total funding. Only 40% of nonprofits are receiving that kind of funding. 
of those, it's only making up a quarter of it. So that's like 10% of all funding is actually the best type of funding. So there's a huge amount of room to improve. Circling back to Thank You's Track Your Impact model, tied funding models with clearly defined project activities are compelling, but they can perpetuate some of the obstacles that nonprofit partners face in partnering with donors. Track Your Impact and models like it might be intuitive for people to understand and support, but they can underestimate the complexities of the issues needing to be addressed and how we can create lasting, impactful change. In fact, it's for these reasons, among others, that Thank You, like Tom's, has pivoted away from the very giving model they created. Instead, they've shifted their focus to a model of unrestricted funding. In this system, partnerships with nonprofit organisations are established over the long term, funding cycles are extended, and funding isn't tied to a defined set of activities. While the desired impacts are clear, alleviating people from extreme poverty, the activities and outputs may change as required. While a business may look to fund solutions that are simple to communicate in messaging to customers and other clients, Thank You's experience has demonstrated that this need not be a barrier to change. What is important is taking customers on the journey, allowing them to ask questions and receive honest answers. I think that's really, really interesting where some of the pressures that I feel corporates seem to have on like, hey, no, we need to fund something really simplistic because our consumers can only understand it. We were the test case, it could have gone both ways, but we chose to uh, actually make the step because we knew at the end of the day, we needed to make funding decisions that matter for the community and we'll wear the risk as a brand. One of the things that we did communicate to all of our stakeholders was all the different lessons that we've learned over the 10 years, all the mirror moments of saying, hey, here's why we did what we did, including Track Your Impact. Here's why we participated unwittingly in a philanthropic landscape, which has distrust at the core of, of some of these issues and why it's so broken. And here's what we're trying to do to, to rectify it within our own giving practices. I feel like this could go two ways. So the benefit of buy a product, we plant a tree. Mm. Is Yes. And trackable and accountable. Organizations can't hide behind what they're doing. Yes. Whereas an unrestricted model, you could give a million dollars and claim for all the benefits that should be happening on the back of that. There's no real way to see if they're actually doing what they're saying. Organizations who aren't doing the right reason might actually be able to hide behind them and say, we're doing it in this way and therefore you can't track what we're doing. It's an interesting point. I think what's important to remember is it isn't to say unrestricted funding is unaccountable funding because those nonprofits still have to show that they're working towards achieving that impact and show evidence that impact is being achieved in some way, whether that be over a 10 year time scale. There's still accountability, it's just that what's being tracked is different. So what would they what would help keep them accountable to activity tracking? So an example might be that say a program's been running in a community to improve education rates and they're able to show that because of their program there's been say a five percent increase in people receiving education. That's different to saying uh, there's been a five percent increase in the number of school books delivered. Yep. And there's a there's a very qualitative difference between those two. Yeah, so you're still tracking, but it's an impact and it's going to be longer. That's right. And it may be that, say, after a year, the nonprofit says, look, we learned some lessons along the way, but we actually really need to change the way we're delivering this project because of what we've learned. 
And this type of funding gives the flexibility to do that. Yeah, because their impact at that point might have been zero. We tried things. Yeah, this didn't, didn't work. Didn't yeah. Work. Cool. Good. Let's all try it next. That's right. Yeah, it kind of comes back to how businesses operate. Mm. They're working its way where they are testing and learning, trying new things. Testing, failing, hopefully succeeding. When nonprofits are no longer constrained by tied funding in these short-term reporting and funding cycles, it opens up the scope of their activities and enables them to pilot new programs, test solutions in the field, and measure impacts over a longer time period. We have what we call a fund development group where we get donations. We call them unrestricted funds. And that's very interesting because these give you power to do whatever you want. Because it's, yes, it's unrestricted donations, either from individuals or from businesses. So you have more freedom to do what you really want and you don't need to all the time report how you have used this money and for what. You are free and it's much more effective. And actually we use it for things that donors usually don't want to pay for, like piloting ideas, scaling ideas, for researching ideas that we didn't have money from traditional donors. Nadia Campos shares an example of how IDE took a novel approach to solving the problem of access to toilets or latrines in Cambodia. So Cambodia, 10 years ago, 80% of the population was still doing open defecation, okay? People were not having access to latrines and they didn't want it to use the latrines. Nothing had changed because yes, this is a message that people receive, but they cannot take any action. One, because maybe because they didn't have access to latrine, Two, yeah, they didn't know where to buy it. Three, they didn't know what a lettering was. So what ID did different is what we created what we call a sanitation marketing using human-centered design. So we went to the community, we talked to them, and we asked them, okay, but why you don't have a lettering? A lot of people were telling us, I don't know what a lettering is, I don't know where I can buy it, and I don't know why I should buy it. And so we thought, okay, who in the market right now could build this lettering and could sell this lettering to the people. Instead of us giving it for free, we want to create a sustainable solution. So we scope in the, in the market. We saw that there were, uh, like in the countryside, concrete producers that maybe could be trained to build those letterings and also maybe could sell them. We trained the, the entrepreneurs that already existed in the market. We told them how they could build a very easy, low-cost lettering and how they could sell it. So our first pilot, we did that. What we miss in our first pilot is we assume that those entrepreneurs could also sell the letterings. But in Cambodian context, entrepreneurs don't go out to sell anything. They wait for the customers to come. But how the customers from the rural village in Cambodia will go to a town to buy those letterings? Impossible. After this first pilot, IDE iterated their approach. They began training students and community members on how to sell the latrines using a door-to-door -door marketing approach. And now, 10 years later, only 20% of the people don't have a latrine. So we really shifted the market. And so in 10 years, we went from 80% open defecation to 20, thanks to this sanitation marketing approach. A project of this kind involving iterative pilots and testing collaboration with the existing market to create an innovative solution and a 10-year timeline 
would not be possible with short-term funding tied to a particular set of activities. Yet this is how lasting and meaningful impact in this context was achieved. So time funding in this case, it would have been we want 100 toilets process to be put out there. Probably wouldn't have achieved the outcome that they wanted to achieve at the scale, which is huge, going from 20% of 20%. Mm. So it took takes more time, load, it right? They create a whole systemic change. Time funding would have meant that. And it worked, mm. it stopped. Unrestricted meant it could happen. Yes, it's really just trying to apply that level of trust that's commonplace in settings in the business world and saying, why can't they apply to experts in the field in the nonprofit space? Yeah. For thank you, their shift to a partnership centric unrestricted funding model saw them give $10 million of unrestricted grants to nonprofit partners in 2020. So, how did it go? this journey of shifting our entire giving strategy to support our grantees in a grantee-centric or a trust-based manner. It's having really, really great impact in the first 12 months that we switched, COVID happened, and the feedback from our partners have been uh, really positive because they've had to switch, they've had to pivot, and they've had to really meet new needs of the community, which they couldn't have done if it was restrictive funding. So what are the drawbacks? For businesses weighing up their current or proposed approach to giving, an unrestricted funding model does come with its own set of challenges and risks. It requires a higher degree of dedicated input from donors to establish longer-term trust-based relationships with nonprofit organisations receiving funding. Measuring for impact rather than activities or outputs requires a deeper understanding of complex problems and it demands a higher level of trust in grantees to deliver for impact and to overcome unforeseen obstacles along the way. Businesses adopting an unrestricted funding model will need to be comfortable with more ambiguity as activities may change throughout the life of a project. Deliverables may require longer timescales. In communicating to customers and clients about their impact, Businesses have a difficult task in conveying a complex model of development in a concise manner. For businesses moving to a fundamentally different giving model, there is a risk that the change of approach may be jarring to existing customers. This needs to be taken into account in how a business frames their messaging externally. I'm a consumer myself. We are bombarded by hundreds of messages each day. If we look on the supermarket shelf, for us, our primary communication method is actually on-shelf and on-shelf packaging as well. And it could literally be a three to four to five second read and not everyone's going to read the entire blurb as well. And that's the challenge of trying to communicate our impact model, a complex development model that our partners do, plus also the role that you as a consumer is playing all in a very quick and concise manner. So that's the challenge that we have in front of us, but some of the ways that we've gone through and, and tested and done some pieces via our blog is longer form explanations. It's also doing conversations and talks around different corporate events where listeners would be really interested in how can corporates actually do good and, and being around those forums and getting our, our message out in longer form conversations. There are no simple answers to these questions and no giving model has a monopoly. Still, there are considerations businesses can make. Putting in the time to listen to their nonprofit partners and understand their approach can really help. 
I think the first thing is to start with a posture of listening and learning and, and doing a bit of research on the, the topics or areas and challenges that you want to play a real role in. If we're all serious about tackling really serious injustices or inequity that's happening in our world, let's take the time to listen, to learn, to ask our partners what's really needed as well in terms of what types of solutions, what type of funding is really needed. And then as a result of having the best interests of the people we're trying to serve, at heart, then looking at ways to give or solutions to give. So the main outtakes being today are that consumers and customers don't need a simple single message. They actually want high quality outcomes. They don't worry about a single message. Unrestricted funding can improve that significantly. So look at the impact you're trying to mm. achieve. Go back to that and rethink that. Make the time and investment to develop partnerships and trust-based relationships with nonprofits and to actually see that there is evidence in their existence that they are able to achieve impact. So you don't want to give the money in an unrestricted way to a nonprofit that has no track record, no demonstration of impact. You want to find ones that do have a theory of change set up and that are working towards real impact in the setting they're in. So that takes us to the end of our podcast series on the billion dollar question of corporate giving. If you want to dig in further to this topic, you can download a research report on our website, as well as lots of different case studies and findings along the way. If you've got any information, feedback, fears, case studies, please put through and we'll share that content. This has been the billion dollar question of corporate giving. If you want to dig further, head to our website, thebusinesspickle.com. Thanks for listening to The Business Pickle.